Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. How was the travel? Uh, it was good. I uh, apologize for not warning our audience. But yes, I was traveling last week and I will actually be traveling next week. It has been an insane sort of uh, six weeks for me, but I think this is the last trip for a while. So uh, we are recording now. We will not record next week and then we should be back to normal after that. Very good. Our thanks to MailChimp, as always, for sponsoring Exponent. You can connect your MailChimp account with hundreds of powerful web services. When you sync the applications you use to run your business and break down data styles between platforms, your workflow becomes more efficient, and that extra time lets you focus on increasing engagement and revenue. So use MailChimp to integrate with everything from WordPress to Facebook, Shopify. MailChimp integrates with the apps and web services you use every day, and our thanks to them for sponsoring Exponent. Yeah, really appreciate the support. Awesome. Someone tweeted at us, which I thought was pretty funny, uh, a link to uh, an old episode. I think it has to have been going on two and a half years now. That was titled like it was "Controversy at Uber" or something like that. And they're like, uh, "How about how about you just rerun this episode?" <laughs> uh, I have a, this one's been a couple of weeks coming. Um, we've been getting uh, plenty of questions from the moment that that um, the first article hit, and I, you know, it's. I'm glad we pause on stuff like this because uh, the temptation is to dive deep into news and uh, the pause allows you to get a bit of perspective. And certainly there's been plenty of stuff that's happened since that first um, that first blog post um, was published. But I feel like the perspective is part of what makes this different from like a typical podcast where the temptation is just to keep reporting on the news. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, oh, yeah, and I, I agree, and, and hopefully that's the case. And, and at least from Uber's perspective, I think that you know it certainly has felt like the mm. the sort of outpouring of news is just keeps getting worse and worse and mm. worse. And and something that uh, kind of struck me is the w- w- especially when it all happens at once. But I think it's the case with Uber as a whole. But I think it was really magnified these last few weeks because everything was happening at once. That everything gets kind of put in the same bucket and labeled as 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 bad things, particularly because the set aside delete Uber, which I think we should talk about when you do that mm. in a moment. But but that was sort of a few weeks before the, the 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 kind of current tsunami. The current tsunami was kicked off by something that was you know unequivocally bad. Just be super clear, and and I and I, which was the the claims of really um, overt sexual harassment, and and w- w- not just that, but a. HR department that was far more concerned with silencing the accuser and, you know, very credible allegations of that impacting the accuser's career at Uber, being unable to transfer teams. There's no debate about this being utterly and completely unacceptable. It was kind of mind-boggling to read it, to be honest. I've been I've been in the States for almost 10 years now, and I've spent a good number of those years out in Silicon Valley, and I couldn't actually fathom. And maybe this is just my being and uh, uh, like white male, I'm like completely insulated from it. But I just couldn't imagine this scenario playing out. Like it almost beggared belief that a human being would get treated like this inside um, inside one of these professional tech organizations, and the outrage that that sprung forth as a result of that article, I think was entirely warranted. Yeah. And I think just, just to b- clarify what you said and, and correct me and correct me if I'm, I'm not correct here, mm. but it's not that necessarily the harassment per se, because I think um, I certainly have friends in the industry that have, you know, that identified with some of the, a lot of the initial harassment claims. I think it's, it's how the sort of HR department yeah. handled it. That, that is really particularly w- was mind blowing in this case. Uh, and, and you know, I think it, 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 I'm happy to start there because one, I, one, I'm more than happy to unequivocally uh, say that that is a bad thing and a terrible thing, and that you know heads should roll, you know, when and if this is substantiated. And again, like it, it, it certainly seems very credible. At the end, but I think your point is also very useful to clarify, like the because it's really important. You know, one like if there was harassment that happened, obviously is bad, and and the the person who did the harassing ought to be dealt with. That that didn't happen is a bigger problem, a bigger and different problem that also needs to be addressed and dealt with. And and it's and again, they're both bad. They're different kinds of bad in different ways. In that one is sort of a 
an explicit action that happened. The second one is sort of a systematic yeah. problem. And, and to be clear, those are intertwined, right? Certainly someone can feel empowered yes. to act that way if they're in a system that encourages that. And I think th that's a very – it's a very valid question and criticism not just of the scenario in case, but of the broader of the sort of whole broader sort of accusation that was embedded in in that post. And just the 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 you're exactly right in terms of clarifying what I was saying. The the fact that an individual behaves like this is always bad. The fact that it, it it's like someone's someone does something horrible like a crime is committed and you go to the police and the police turn it around on the victim and say oh no that's not them that's actually your fault and you're the one that's to blame and by the way we're going to punish you for reporting it right and, and i think and the other thing that obviously makes this you know particularly difficult is and so let's back up a little bit I mean, the other thing that makes this difficult is, and this gets into like, we are sort of drew a differentiation between like the systemic, potential systemic problems and the sort of uh, alleged, alleged incident in, in question and how those interact and the differences between them. But we also have the situation where, you know, we, all we have right now is a blog post, right? And we, and Uber's promised an, an, an investigation uh, through an external, external law firm problematically that law firm has been working with uber previously which i think is is uh, is unfortunate and i think uber should have chosen better in, in that regard but at least there is a you know an independent well-known reputation on the line you know the former u.s attorney general eric holder like responsible for investigating this and it, it should be investigated and but it's it what's and it's like wh how do you how do you talk about this because on one hand obviously it's bad two you know, it, it's something that people really find very easy to believe about Uber. And that bit about it being easy to believe about Uber, even to your point that this idea of, of you know, uh, HR sort of shuttling around a, a serial sexual harasser, you know, seems so, seems so terrible. Like, why is it that people find that so easy to believe about, about Uber? And is that fact that people find that so easy to believe about Uber – a further indictment of Uber and by extension its culture and, and, and its chief executive, or is there are there other sort of things going going on here? And 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 it's so hard. It's very difficult to sort of pick apart for one, even though that's kind of what I try to do this week. And two, and two, it's hard. It's hard from sort of just a pure analytical perspective, mm. but it's also hard from a sort of moral perspective because I don't want to get away from the fact that clearly this sort of behavior is completely unacceptable. Again, not just the explicit act itself, but the sort of systematic cover up that is alleged to have occurred. And I don't want to lose that, lose the outrage about that, while sort of trying to piece apart these other questions. And that's kind of what makes this makes this so yeah. difficult to 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 talk about emotions run so high and the extent to which this behavior is so completely unacceptable that it's very easy for nuance to get lost in the debate i would say that to answer your question and part of the challenge uh part of the challenge uh around the, the all the controversy surrounding uber right now and it goes to your question is that part of it is being caused by Uber doing things wrong, and I think that stems all the way up to the top. But part of it is being caused by them uh, fighting in a way that has necessitated well, it is, is necessitated by the industry that they are working in. Uh, it is if they had um, if they had followed the rules all along, I don't think they would still exist as a company. And there was there was actually a precursor to them. It is called uh, Night School. It started in San Francisco, same concept, and it bent over backwards to operate within the rules that were the regulations around and working with the taxis, and they went out of business. Like Part of the reason the company still exists is because it broke the rules. And this is what... This is what I really appreciated about your what you wrote this week is it is so difficult to 
to pull these things apart. Like the nuance of like some of this behavior is is just inexcusable, and it start like this whole controversy started with that. And I think that is the lens through which a lot of these. Uh, elements that have been raised over the past few weeks have subsequently been viewed, but there's part of it which is a which you could you can argue either way, which is there like it's not necessarily clear that what they did is wrong, or at the very least we can argue about it. Yeah, well, I, I would I would back up further, and I, I would sort of draw. There's a couple of really important, I think, distinctions to draw when it comes to this. And I want to use, for example, the the delete Uber thing that happened. Mm. So if you recall, the you know Donald Trump released executive order on Friday banning immigration from seven countries, primarily Muslim countries, uh, resulting in widespread protests, including and probably the, the biggest were in New York and specifically at JFK Airport. And as part of the protests, the city's taxis, which are predominantly immigrants, boycotted the picking up passengers from JFK for an hour, I think between like 6 and 7 p.m. Naturally, demand for Uber skyrocketed. So let's stop right there. Right there. What are Uber's options at that moment in time, at 6 p.m. on Friday? They have three options, okay? Number one is they don't allow their drivers or they don't answer pickup calls from JFK. It, so one, I don't even know if that's technically possible. Like they probably have to go like to actually at a moment's notice completely restrict a geographic area. I would be surprised if that's even if that if that's even possible. Two, they are now like dictating what their drivers can and cannot do, which to their point of being their drivers being contractors on a platform is very problematic from a legal perspective, right? The entire, like, part of their entire argument is that drivers are free to come and go as they please, that Uber is just like a matchmaking sort of service. Again, a, a very valid debate that we can have. We're not going to have it right now. But the point is, like, there are legal implications of them suddenly banning their drivers from JFK for an hour, even if their drivers wanted to go or whatnot. So that's that's number one, very problematic. Number two, they could... Surge pricing, you know, is going off the charts because there's no more taxis. Of course, everyone's calling an Uber. You're getting huge surge charges. Then what happens? You have everyone saying, oh, look at Uber profiting off of the protest. Look at Uber profiting off of Donald Trump's immigration order. Or you could do what they did, which is cancel surge fares. It's like, oh, look at Uber breaking the strike. Look at Uber supporting Donald Trump. Again, this is not about the immigration ban, which I think our positions are 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 should be pretty obvious about that. It's about the company was not in a no-win situation, but what what happened then? Then you had this entire delete Uber thing. I had stuff all over Facebook about people about how Uber supported the immigration ban, which which was not true in the, in the slightest. But you had this sort of thing that just this spun up. And why did it spin up? Here's the question. How many people who started that delete Uber campaign were already hated Uber? So I, <laughs> when you frame it like that, it it really doesn't matter which option they pick. None of them were good. They were all bad options. Now, the reason part, well, a good part of the reason that they're in this situation, though, it, like people dislike the company and then they view their actions, the Uber's actions through that dislike. Now, part of the reason for that dislike is because. Their very existence is predicated on breaking all these regulations. Like they would not exist if they hadn't broken those regulations around uh, taxis and so on. And we can have that debate. And I think we sh- we we have and we will continue to. Uh, uh, but let's park that for now. The other reason that people dis like dislike Uber and they see these actions like no matter what they do they they look for the the malintent is because Uber's done a bunch of crappy stuff to people that is completely independent of the regulation and like the most obvious one that that comes to my mind is the ML Michael stuff around uh, around digging up dirt on critics and journalists. Like people say bad stuff about the company and his reaction was, well, you know what? Let's, let's start a dirt squad up and let's, let's get some, some dirt on these people and let's, uh, let's blackmail them into like subservience or quiet. And, and that's just, that's just wrong. That's like in the same category as where we started with this Susan, the, the Susan Fowler post. It's just wrong. There's no excuse for this behavior. And 
When we started talking about this last week, you and I offline, not writing, like one of the things that came to my mind was this Bob Dylan quote, this line from one of his songs, to be an outlaw, you must be honest. I like part of the reason they're in such this, this terrible situation is because they, yes, they broke the law around the regulations, but they've done all this other stuff that means that it, 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 like beyond the regulation where people now view uh, all their actions through this lens of like, these guys are just bad guys that are looking for opportunities to do the wrong thing. And here's another opportunity where they, they had the chance to do the right thing, but they chose to do the wrong thing. They chose to make a buck or they, they you know, like it's, it's always viewed through that lens. Yeah, I, that, that's, I, I, I completely agree. And you know, and just what I just want to highlight what you what you just said. So one about whether the regulation things are, are right or wrong. We're like we're not skipping over that. And I know we have a lot of listeners that completely disagree with us on this on this point. Mm. So uh, you, as you very appropriately and punnily said, we're parking it for <laughs> for for just a moment. <laughs> I, I just wanted to acknowledge. That. I, didn't I don't even know. I don't know. If, I've done that. I don't. I didn't know if you did it on purpose, but I wanted. I wanted to acknowledge mm. it because mm. I, I appreciate a good pun. Uh. <laughs> Anyhow, but yeah, no. Your 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 secondary point is 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 fantastic. I think you could argue that the delete Uber thing would have happened regardless, even if Uber had been the a very hadn't done other bad stuff because people were they're disrupting stuff, they're messing stuff up, and and it's very controversial, and and I get that. But you're right; it's made way worse by all this other stuff. And and I actually in a in a daily update uh, a couple weeks ago when this scandal sort of first broke, I drew a direct line to the Emma Michael thing because here was a situation where someone clearly crossed the line and was not disciplined, was mm-hmm. not held accountable, and in fact later was held up as an example of, of of a great Uber employee, and and that does and that lends credence to the sort of cultural systematic questions that are implicated in the blog post about sexual harassment, right? That suggest a a culture that doesn't have accountability, that does prioritize performance, quote unquote, above anything else, which fits, it fits the pattern. Yeah, it is. And it just, and the, the, the CEO himself has not done any favors to help this. Like, I, I can't remember exactly where, and maybe you'll be able to speak uh, uh, have a degree of specificity, but he talked about how this uh, how this business was wonderful because it helps him get laid. Like GQ uh, it, called it Uber. GQ. Like even if that's true, you just don't say that because like you've got all these employees looking around at you as the leader of this organization, taking cues from how you behave and the types of things that are acceptable and the types of things that aren't. And, and the Emma Michael thing is another example. Like you perform well, you can get away with saying stuff like this and you're not you 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 like have to put out an apology but there's there's no further rebuke like they this is how a culture inside an organization forms and it has this stuff this really bad behavior has just stemmed all the way from the top and he has not done any favors uh, to, to the organization or its quest to like break this regulation and enable ride sharing to become a thing because when there've been where there's been controversy that does not relate to the regulation, they've just they've kicked so many own goals. It's ridiculous. So <laughs> perhaps against my better judgment, I am now going to defend not just Uber but Emil Michael. Okay. And and I think and I think it's it's interesting in, in, and I'll t- and I'll explain why why I'm doing so. Uh, uh-huh. And again, I'm the one I'm the one who wrote at the time of the Emma Michael episode should be fired. I wrote two weeks ago that I drew a line from the Emma Michael episode to the current problems. Mm-hmm. So, like, just uh, you know, give me the benefit of the doubt here in the context of everything I've fully written. And I, I want to go back to Apple actually. So, oh. I think a problem that Apple has, a problem that Apple's management has, is there is this narrative about Apple is doomed, right? It's stupid, right? It's dumb. There's there's a, a few analysts we know who they are that say the same thing again and again. And every sort of every sort of proof point or every sort of slight thing that comes along just added to it. Just, it just makes the arguments. They're looking for confirmation bias. It's an endless search for confirmation bias that mm-hmm. Apple is doomed. And I think that has ended up, and as particularly a few years ago. And like I said, when I started Shirtechery, I actually got a lot of uh, a ton of 
articles out of writing that was when Samsung was ascendant and Apple's oh, iPhone 5 area. I'm like, no, this is dumb. Apple is totally fine. They have tons of heterogeneous. Actually, it's Samsung that's in trouble, which obviously all end up being totally true, but it was a rather controversial thing mm. to say at the time. And and my concern for Apple about Apple's management, and again, I don't know if this is true. It, it just you, you, one has to wonder this kind of looking at the outside that when you've put up with like 15 years of stupid people saying stupid things uh, uh, about Apple being doomed. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, they're probably not stupid people, but you, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, like it becomes very easy to just block out everything. At what point does even legitimate questions, legitimate criticisms? become dismissed as oh apple hater and and you i mean you certainly see it on twitter where where even you know like i i have you know i have friends in the mac community that that love apple love the mac right they write even something slightly critical they're immediately like thrown out into the into the darkness i mean this happened to me personally i yeah. still recall like one of the most it was one of the most uh when i the first article i wrote that was critical of apple and it still, I think, probably remains the one day I had the single. I just started the daily update. I was still, I only had a few hundred, and I had like thirty people like email me to say cancel my subscription, and like and, and, and tons of like emails and response, and people were just livid that I could. How could I criticize Apple? And and obviously, you know that I didn't allow that to deter me. Or to you know, I I would like to think I'm objective about the company. I both praise mm-hmm. and and criticize when appropriate. And again, I'm not asking that Apple has to listen to me or anything like that. But I I I wonder at what point does just the incessant criticism that that's not right close you off to everything? And and the reason this makes me think about Uber is because you have the incessant incessant criticism about the very model itself, the whole idea, the whole concept, and the approach to regulation. And the sort of you know, it, which I want to get into in a moment because I think there, mm. there's it's really fascinating from a sort of there's a very it connects to our podcast from last week. We'll get to it in a moment, but but mm. when you have the incessant criticism and people who feel like they have it out for you, regardless, at what point does it become easy to sort of you start missing signals? You start missing like no, actually, this was a really bad, this was a really big deal, like the Emma Michael thing, for example, right? It was a it was a bad thing, and you know the Emma Michael thing. I, I sorry, I know I'm going on for a little bit here. I actually think it was exactly what Emil Michael said it was, which was corroborated by other people at the dinner, by the way, which is that he was he was doing like a hypothetical. Like, what if we did this sort of thing? Of course they wouldn't like it. And he was saying – and I think he was trying to say why Uber didn't like how they felt they were being treated unfairly by some of the press. And they are saying what if it was flipped around? And I think it was a sort of a hypothetical that was reported out as being something far more nefarious than it was for mm-hmm. one. And, and so so – no, so that's one. Two, I still think he should have been fired. And the reason he should have been fired is because this is a – for your point, the, the, the way it came across, whether it was fair or unfair, right or wrong, was bad for Uber. And it, it helped put Uber in a position where – like the delete Uber thing where they're stuck in a – with no good options and they get vilified for it, not just because of the business model stuff but also because of like the journalist stuff, right? It is now it, it is now embedded in the narrative about Uber that Uber wants to go after journalists, right? And they're mm. really the only evidence is this sort of one sort of piece that actually probably has a valid explanation. And so you now put yourself in Travis Kalanick's shoes, right? You already feel persecuted. Because of the you know incessant criticism about the the very nature of your model, two you feel that your buddy got screwed by unfair reporting, and how easy is it just put it in the same bucket as oh more unfair criticism and not not be able to see that actually no this is really bad for Uber and maybe it's kind of unfair but the guy's got to go. I mean, the point is the point is an excellent one. I guess the only thing I can say to that is, this is this is what like leadership is all about. No, for sure, for sure. Again, I, I've said and I've maintained he should have been fired. Just to be clear, no, totally, and I, I, that makes sense. And like the possibility that it was misconstrued is not something that I considered before, and it's I, I could see it being a possibility. I don't know if that's true or not. For what it's worth, I mean, it was corroborated, and I think that I, I'm actually pretty convinced it was again as someone who still says he should have been fired but regardless go continue yeah 
it's just one of these things like that when you are in charge of one of these companies, like the thing the thing that helps you avoid ending up in these situations is that you don't start correlating incessant criticism. Uh, like like you learn the wrong lesson from incessant criticism and then drawing the conclusion when it's when for example the apple thing apple's doomed apple's doomed oh wow everyone's saying apple's doomed but we're never doomed we're always doing well but then if someone who is intelligent and comes along with smart analysis actually points out something that could be a problem if you choose to ignore that because you put it in the same uh, the same category as all the other apple naysayers then then shame on you right like that is the role of like leading one of these companies is to engage your critical thinking and not to just jump to the heuristic of like oh all criticism is false like if someone says something bad it must just mean they're out to get me like you have to put it through the lens of like okay is this reasonable can i see this happening I mean, there are, there are folks like you and I who have been pretty big Uber supporters over the years. Um, but just because this, we're supporting and like we support the idea and the yeah. model, like we're not che- like we're not yeah, uh, or investors or cheerleaders or anything like. But the 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 notion of ride sharing and the positive impact this can have on society is huge. And these guys have done so much hard, messy work to make this a reality. Like they just have. But it crossed the line with the Emma Michael thing. It just did. Like, and this is what I feel like. This is what I when when that gets put in the same category as oh it's just the regulators that are in the taxi's pocket taxi industry's pocket like that's w- when the first flag went up that oh gosh the critical thinking's been turned off and we're just going to be numb to criticism and it's just the world's out to get us right but this is this is this is the tricky thing about culture right it's so easy mm. for you and me to sit here. And to say they should have clearly seen this moment in time when what is culture? Culture is not something – it's not ping pong tables and, 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 and parties, it. right? Culture is the accumulation of decisions combined with success. Yes. And the fact of the matter is that Uber had gone from unbelievable success to unbelievable success by ignoring their critics. And – and again, I'm not excuse. You're exactly right. Leadership is the ability to cut through that. Right? Yes. But, yes. But I can certainly be a you know there, but the grace of God go I perspective mm, about yep. this. And you go back, and I, I've been reading the upstarts, Brad Stone's new book about about the found, the founding of Uber and Airbnb. And what's what's really remarkable about the Uber part is there is like five examples of major decisions that Uber made where. Klanik was on one side and the rest of the company on the other. And Klanik was right every single time. And again, you you do that and it at least gives me a little bit of empathy about when he got it, when when he got it wrong. Like I think he did in this case, right? Everyone was telling him that that Michael should be fired. He thought that Michael he thought it was unfair. He thought that the, the that's not what he meant, that Uber was being unfairly persecuted, and he stood by him. And again, we both think that he got that one wrong. And, and you know, if you think about it, we're yeah. being super cold-hearted about this, right? Because mm. what if what, what if Michael actually didn't do anything wrong? Yeah, I mean, like, and we're like, we're sitting here, we're sitting yeah. here on our soapboxes saying a person who did nothing wrong should have been fired, and like yeah. we're in, and, and it's so easy. And this is, and this is, I kind of wrote this in the follow-up. This is almost what maybe I, what I didn't like was articles. I got a little on my soapbox at the end, and. It's so easy to get on your soapbox when you have nothing at stake and you're just sitting on the outside and you're just pointing and you're just pointing your finger at someone else. And you know what? You and I didn't build Uber. You yeah. and I didn't go in and, and engage with this sort of stuff. And again, we're not excusing any bad behavior. I just want to be super duper clear about that. But imagine if we did. Imagine if that was like you know when you when you were saying that and like you're right. You're you're like stirring the empathy inside of me. Imagine if that was it was you and I in that situation, and one of us had to make the decision to fire the other one. Because of a comment that they didn't really mean that was misconstrued by a journalist who had ill intent. That would be a really freaking hard decision to make. And I can understand in those circumstances why he didn't. But still, it doesn't, it doesn't, he's in this situation now and he's in a lot of hot water. And like part of the reason he's in as much trouble as he's in is because he didn't make that hard decision back then. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree that. Yeah, I, I wrote that. But and, you know, and you get to some of this, and you get to some of the other stuff too. Like uh, Susan Fowler Rigetti didn't just didn't just say that there was sexual harassment. She also said the the work culture was terrible and like managers backbiting and going against each other and and you know and th- that gets folded in too. Oh, Ober's a terrible place to work, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? It it, it very well may be. And a year and a half ago, we had Amazon's a terrible yep. place to work. Yep. And Microsoft was known as an awful place to work in the '90s. I guess what Microsoft thought as a very was thought as a very great place to work in the two thousands. You know what their business was going down the tubes. Yeah. Like it, Steve Jobs was a terror to work with. Awful stories, terrible stories. I'm not excusing bad behavior. What I'm what I'm what I have a problem with, and I point this criticism first and foremost at myself. And I didn't sleep well for this article because I about this specific point, not about any of the content per se, but I felt bad that I got on my soapbox when. It's so easy to say Uber should be super aggressive and they should they should go into an area that no one in tech like everyone in tech is has run away from the real world for 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 decades. Mm. No one wants to do, it's messy. Mm. No one wants to actually deal with physical things. They don't actually deal with people. They don't want to deal with regulators above anything else. Everyone talks about why is there nothing about about health, healthcare and technology? Cuz no one wants to fucking deal with it. Technology is the key to transforming health, I think without question, all these things we talk about in the, the the potential negative economic impacts of technology in all these other areas, if we could apply that to health in, in the, the fact that it's like this, this massive portion of our GDP, this could be truly transfer- transformational in a way that changes people's lives. And all the best and brightest in Silicon Valley don't want anything to do with it because it's messy. Yeah. And you know what? And, and, and Quanic, he it, it's messy and he and and he went in and he and he did something about it. And look, I'm not excusing anything at all. And to be clear, if it becomes clear that he had any sort of connection, even however tenuous, to these sexual harassment claims, he's got to go. Like it, it's it's just non negotiable. But at the same, but when you get into more like things like it's a bad place to work because managers are backbiting or there's internal arguing and squabbling or like whatever, I, I, I'm going to have a lot less sympathy. This stuff's hard, and there is no world where everything is perfect. We talked about this last week. Like, you have to fight for progress, but you're not going to get to the finish line immediately. And if you and if the standard is everything has to be perfect, you're not going to move. You're going to be frozen, and that's no good either. And I mean, that is the that is the segue into the piece around the regulation, and that is why. And again, like you mentioned earlier on, that there are plenty of people who disagree with us about this. But that is why I support the the idea of ride sharing, particularly in the context of incumbency and the power that gives people over regulators. Like they have all this power, they have all this money. It gives them a an opportunity to to uh, begin regulatory capture. And many of the people that are regulating the taxi industry are closely tied to it. Maybe they worked in it. It's they're all buddy buddies. Well, let's just be super clear. Like regulatory capture, we've tossed that word around. What what that means is that when there's regulations, the people who are in the industry, of course, they complain about the regulations. But regulations are the best friend of established mm. players. Like they com- they complain more than anyone. Oh, I'm so regulated. Blah blah blah. But the fact of the matter is, their business is it's like a tree that grows around like a, a, a light pole, right? They accommodate that. They become intertwined with that, and they become a situation where the regulatory the regulators purpose for being is to regulate this industry and their interests become aligned. Right. And it's that alignment of interest where the regulator was put in place to represent the public, to represent the the, the norm, you know, the society at large. Yes. And once that align and so when it starts out the regulator is orthogonal to the incumbent. But w- once those once those align once they become aligned, they are captured. They are basically Doing, they're working for the same team without even realizing it. Not because they're paid the same, not even because there's money under the table. Just because that's the natural way things grow in the same direction once they're once once they're next to each other. 
and and the issue it it i very i am very sympathetic to this idea that company and people should not break the law i i like i i in an ideal world in the perfect world that you talked about earlier that is exactly the way things should be but the fact is we do not live in that world and in a world in which you have that growth of an incumbent industry and there are all kinds of incumbent industries you've seen it with you've seen it with a telecoms trying to su- suppress like free messaging on WhatsApp and so on. You see it with cable companies trying to charge uh, service providers like Netflix carriage fees. Like you see it in all these different ways where the incumbent leverages their power to create regulation that stifles things that will be broadly good for society, that, like to stifle disruptive innovation. And this is what happened with the taxi industry. It was doing that to the ride-sharing world. And like I was in San Francisco, I visited San Francisco before Uber existed. And I remember like standing in the rain trying to get to a doctor's appointment and I couldn't get a taxi. Like I was, I called one and I waited for 30 minutes and nobody showed up and it just, it was so frustrating. And the, the extent to which you create like a positive impact on society in general where you can rely on transportation to show up and pay a reasonable price to get there. Like that is such a dramatic shift. Like that will improve economically and just in general for humanity, that will improve things so much that I, in this instance, support them fighting the existing regulations because the regulations won't change because of the nature of of this grown this growth that's happened between the incumbent industry and the regulators. Yeah, and just to be clear, I mean most of the time Uber hasn't explicitly broken the law. What they've done is it's been very very great. Where I think they've consistently broken the spirit of the law. Mm. But by by virtue, like for example, there's always prohibitions against hailing, and Uber's like, we're not, we're, no one's hailing a cab; they're arranging a ride. Just the, you know, when you when you remove friction, when the arrangement happens automatically and using GPS in your phone, and you know, an Uber arrives two minutes later, it's basically the same as hailing a cab, but it's still arranging, right? And so, and so, I think that's where a lot of the I mean, maybe I'm just rationalizing this, but in my read, a lo- the vast majority of the time, they're following the letter of the law and sort of, you know, violating the spirit of the law, if that makes sense. Which, by the way, I've spoken out against that. I've spoken out against this sort of legalistic approach where you only follow the letter of the law and you violate the spirit. So call me a hypocrite if you will. I, no, I, I, but it's, I, it's different because it's, it's like you're violating I'm, – I'm just – in this whole discussion, I am equating the letter and the spirit as the same thing. And the reason that they're breaking these regulations or breaking the, the letter of the regulations or the spirit of the regulations is because the regulations once made sense no longer do. But if you wait for the regulations to change, no progress will happen. And the value of the progress is so great. And to be honest, like there are – lots of companies out there that do this kind of thing like you take a look at any ups or fedex truck like those guys rack up millions of dollars of parking fines in cities all around the world every year because it's necessary for them to be able to deliver those packages it's like this is an instance where perhaps the regulation doesn't make sense there is a cost they're bearing it I think there's a really interesting point to make that 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 this is the connection to last to the last podcast I want to talk about. Mm. We talked about the the trouble with regulation is is calculating the cost, right? It's very yeah. easy to see the benefits. Yes. And governments will try to measure the cost, but they only measure the visible costs. Yes. And the real cost is the opportunity cost. It's the things that aren't started, the ideas that aren't done because of the you know the anticipated prohibitive nature of of regulation, and so just from a just just from a sort of analytical perspective, what Uber and and by the way, Lyft is the one who pioneered ride sharing, not not Uber. Uber actually declined to enter the ride sharing market because they thought it was illegal. This is the thing I just I got from the upstarts. Like one of Klanik's greatest regrets is that Uber sat back for nine months and let Lyft become a viable company. Because they thought it was illegal, and th- and so he vowed to not make that mistake again. Again, it's one of those things where you can say later on he made mistakes, but it's interesting to just understand why what the thinking is. Right, Lyft is one of the biggest reasons why Uber is such a money bleeding, you know, sort of sort of company. And again, 
whether they're viable as a business, that's a totally valid debate mm-hmm. to have. We're not having it now. I'm if they fail, they fail. Like that, that, that's fine. Like companies, some succeed, some don't. Mm. Um, but one of the reasons that they're not as successful as they might be is because of Lyft, because Uber tried to follow the law, which is it's one of the sort of the great ironies of this entire of this entire thing that that everyone has kind of forgotten about. I knew that the Lyft came in first. I didn't realize that the the rationalization was Uber followed the law, and now they're in that position. That's 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 an interesting irony of history. Well, it, but you, it's not an irony of history. It's fundamental to understanding Uber. The one time they tried to follow the, the, the spirit of the law, they got screwed in their in their perspective, right? Mm. And so now you think like, well, why are they so aggressive? Why why do they push the line? Like the uh, the self driving thing, it seems so stupid. Why are they pushing the line on the self driving thing in San Francisco and endangering people's lives? From the outside, it's dumb. Like, okay, they don't want to share data. Probably is is probably the, the justification. But they, if you read Uber's, there's kind of an excuse. It's not a self driving car because there's a person there. Blah blah blah. Like it's not like, like Uber. Why are you doing this? Why are you fighting this fight? Like, just can't you give in occasionally? But then you go back to something like that Lyft story. It's like, huh? Like, okay, I still think you're dumb and you're and you need to choose your battles better. But I can at least appreciate how you you got you you got you got to the situation. Which I want to let's close on that point in a moment. I want to make one more point before we get there. Mm. So uh, we talked about last week about the cost of regulation, right? What was so intriguing about about what Uber and Lyft did, if you just want to sort of analyze what they did, is they took the theoretical cost of regulation and they made it concrete. Yes. And so by watching these yes. cities in the gray zones and consumers enjoying it and riding it and becoming this well-known brand, right, where everyone knew about it and it was so, oh, like Portland, like it's in all the suburbs, it's all around, everyone knows about Portland, like, and they put pressure on them. And and the reason why they prevailed and why it, they've largely, you know, by and large have kind of gotten past the sort of regulatory mm. challenges, Block. I, I yeah. think. Uh, another point I'll come back to um, in, in just a moment. But – from if you want to just analyze what they did, is we say there's benefits of regulation, there's obvious costs, overt cost regulations, and then there's sort of the opportunity cost regulation. By take making the opportunity costs into an overt cost, that let them prevail and get the regulations changed. So if you you sort of analytical framework of what their actual approach was, and it's it's brilliant. It like it. I mean, just from a strategic perspective, it, it's it's fascinating. It's a really good way of framing it. I mean, I would talk about I would talk about how they broke the regulation by, and I mean it. It brings up the other another point, which is like part of the reason that they were able to overcome it was that they they made these costs concrete, and people realized actually there's benefit to this organization breaking the law, but it relied on. It relied on public support for them, and that in turn is reliant on them being upstanding corporate citizens because if the narrative changes such that, oh, these are just bad guys looking for laws to break, like it becomes a lot harder – like people are going to be a much more reluctant to support them, and it becomes a lot harder to convince uh, legislators and regulators to change the law because it's not it's 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 not the good guy like pointing out like this fantastic company who's changing the way we all get around. It's like this company that just has this history of breaking laws and doing shady shit, doing more shady shit. We're not going to accommodate them. They're 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 doing evil stuff. Exactly. It is exactly right. And, and and this is the way – maybe this is what has finally broken through with Gladiator. Something I've written about repeatedly. Like Uber is reliant on public support because yeah. that's, the, that's their leverage. And what's so dumb about this stuff and what never seemed – and frustrating to observe. Again, I can empathize with how you – with how it's been ignored. But as – now I'm putting my objective – I'm taking off my empathy hat, putting on my objective – you know, cold hard analyst hats. You know, like it's dumb because you're you're. It's not dumb. It's not just dumb because it's a bad thing. Like you're actually morally bad. It's dumb because you're hurting your business. You're yeah. hurting your business by by endangering your your lever. 
Yeah, this is what but there's a there's a broader point that frustrates me even more and it it makes me think back to the article. So the New Yorker ran a very negative article a couple of years ago about disruption and the author was making a case around all this kind of stuff around, you know, disruption being equated with this kind of thing. And what frustrates me so much about Uber behaving uh, the way they have around these things where they should not be, like the the sexual harassment, like the Emil Michael stuff, is because not only are they risking their own business, but there is this broad perception around these disruptive technology companies shaking things up. And Uber has led this charge from them being a positive thing where people will write in and support and say, we need to change these regulations. And they have managed to turn the mood quite substantially to like, this company is evil and we shouldn't be doing it. And what makes me concerned is that so much of economic growth is tied to the tied to disruption, tied to the value we all get of having these things that were previously inaccessible, accessible, these technologies that we couldn't, that weren't distributed, like now, now everyone has access to them. But as they have as they have allowed this narrative to shift, they endanger not just the ride-sharing industry, but Airbnb and all these other all these other cool disruptive technologies are being put at risk as well. Yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal point. It's it's a it's a really really great point. I guess the, the there's there's the one the one sort of big though overarching question that I come back to again and again, and. We we've debated this question before. I think in a question about healthcare, uh, you know, I, I, we are both strong advocates for universal healthcare. Mm. And there, the, the one sort of hang up, and sort of like a strong, a strong you know, social safety net in general. Yes. And the sort of hang up that you kind of come back to is: is it possible to build a? At the same time, you're kind of stuck in the fact that America has this awful healthcare system. It's terrible, and the social safety net stinks, and we're, we're and it's just it's embarrassing, and it's well, it looks like it's going to get worse. Mm. At the same time, you have the the troubling sort of fact that the level of dynamism and growth in the U.S. economy consistently outpaces parts of the world that have much stronger safety nets, and to what extent? Is that intertwined? To what extent mm. is? And again, I, 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 it's something I wrestle with a lot because, mm. like, if what if it actually ends up being the case? I don't know if this is true, and I, I think it's not. I think you can separate them, and I think mm. you know, uh, the there, there are some countries in Europe that have demonstrated this. But what, just as a thought experiment, what if it is the case that strong social safety nets, it must mean uh, retarded growth? And less economic dynamism is that a trade-off worth making? And and it's it's so and it's such a hard debate to even have mm. because the costs of not having social safety net are so apparent. They're so easy to see. It's like sick. It's like sick people dying. Right? It's mm. awful. Mm. And it's so, but it's so much harder to see the cost of not having growth, of of having a stagnant society, of people that are unemployed, of of the uh, unrest and sort of stuff that that occurs. Although. I would argue we're starting to see some of those costs right now, right? Like what happens when people are in stagnant situations? Their worst demons start coming out. Their worst tendencies, tribalism, all this sort of stuff. And we're and, and that's and so it's it's hard, it's a hard question to sort of answer and and it's core to this thing about Uber and it, it again makes me so hesitant to get on my soapbox about it. Because what could Uber have been any different? Could Uber have had any executive other than Travis Kalanick? Could they have done what they did, which both of us agree is has benefits, not, again, not just for Uber, not just for ride-sharing, not just for the very formulation of our cities, but for the a model for sort of how technology can transform things going forward. Could we have had a Mr. Nice Guy who is your you know Dylan hero an outlaw that obeys that what's the, what's the line again uh yeah to be an outlaw you must be honest yeah i mean i i don't know and it makes me really hesitant to be it keeps my self righteousness in check about about it let's let's say that yeah and it's it's uh it's a uh, it's you know it's 
What I appreciate is that you have the level of self-consciousness and you are doing the questioning right now because I, I feel like if there was one criticism I have of um, of the leadership, it's that they weren't doing this. Like if they were doing this, maybe may, maybe we'd be able to find out whether whether that apparent juxtaposition in an individual where they can break some laws but not others, whether that can exist. But it, it feels like that element of self-criticism was suspended. Well, wait, wait, let me tell you this. I, I appreciate the compliment, but part of the reason I'm disappointed in this article is I feel like I chickened out at the end. And I got mm. on my soapbox and said, oh, tech bad, blah, 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 blah. Which, which, again, tech has lots of problems that deserve to be pointed out. But I took the easy way out on this article. I'm going to be totally honest with you. And that's why I, I was disappointed in it. I didn't have the guts. Kalanick has the guts. Like, again, it, it, yes, I, I appreciate the compliment on my self-reflection. But is that self-reflection inexplic- you know, inextricably tied to the fact that I feel like I kind of chickened out on this article? Maybe, but like he, he could have woken up a week after the Emil Michael thing happened and said, "Guys, you know what? I got this wrong." Uh, we reflected more on it again. And- he could have again. We could have. We're in full agreement. We, it is yeah. very, it's very easy for us to sit here on the Exponent podcast. Yeah. No, no, no. I and know. to say this is all the things he should have done. And I, I'm just saying, and it's very easy to sit here. And, and you know what? Maybe, maybe Quantic has ends up going. You know, the re- if anything makes him go, it's probably gonna be like they can't recruit anymore. They start losing too many employees. Although mm. you know, obviously Uber has pretty strong golden handcuffs. And and if he goes, and again, as we said, Uber's kind of largely won the regulatory war by and large, you know, particularly you know in the United States. Like they're the laws have been passed; they're mostly acceptable, and and everyone's gonna cash out, and they will have used him used Kalanick to establish the category, and then when he was no longer useful because his brashness was too much, he will have been tossed aside, and everyone will benefit and celebrate. And and you know what? He probably, if that happens, is probably deserved for all the reasons we said. Like, bad things have been done. Bad decisions have been made. Again, particularly if these allegations within the company are, are true, and, and we're not backing down from that. I'm not backing down from that in the slightest. I'm just saying, if that happens and everyone throws a party to celebrate, to what extent are we going to appreciate the fact that he did all the dirty work for the rest of us? Again, I'm yeah. not defending. I'm not defending no, anything. No, I'm no, not no. defending and any bad actions. Not, I'm just not, saying, it, like, it's not coming across like you're defending anybody, and like the framing of it is having exactly the effect. I mean, the effect on me, and I'm sure the effect to the folks that are listening that you're desiring. Like, it's it's presenting a different view that uh, that that uh, on this. It's it's again, you <laughs> you snuck your empathy hat back on without telling me. Like, it's it's. Definitely having that view. And like when you frame it like that, I totally understand what you're getting at. Like war is messy and like there are things that that have got to be done and he did them and he did some other bad stuff as well. But like we wouldn't be in the situation where ride sharing is a possibility, where uh, where Mister Nice Guy Lyft can come along afterwards and like into the cities where Uber's cleared the regulatory path and have this friendly rep. Like it wouldn't be happening had he not just like gone for it the yeah. way he has. Yeah. I I understand the point. And I I wrote this I wrote this a couple of years ago when Lyft raised some money. I'm like I'm like on from an objective appearance, it's really stupid to invest in Lyft. Mm. I'm like, but I would totally do it. And I said, the reason I would do it is for exactly this. Like, there is a scenario where Uber implodes and Lyft just walks in to this un- massive market. And by the way, this this also makes the really, really uncomfortable. Like, there is a – this is one of the biggest markets that the industry has ever seen. And you better – like, I, I just have a hard time believing that there was – Eight pieces of bad news that dropped in a two weeks period, and that the timing was all coincidental. Yeah, I mean, like just just because, like, I mean, let, let's be honest. These, like, it it is ruthless. As much as like Silicon Valley wants to put on the like we're changing the world, blah blah blah, blah loves and hugs. It is ruthless. It's always been ruthless, and <laughs> and it makes me a little hesitant to to join the gang. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it- I I I value highly. I take multiple steps, as you know to preserve being mm. as independent as I can possibly be mm-hmm. because you have no you I don't 
I know enough about the industry to know there's multiple levels going on and to know there's all kinds of levels in, in intrigue that, that I don't even, I'm not even aware of. And I'm really scared about all the stuff that I know that I don't know. And like coming in and making great, again, just so, you, you, so I'm humble. I want to be humble about it. Totally Sorry. branded. I got no. back on myself. I got back on myself. Yeah, box. yeah, yeah. All this talk about not getting on the soapbox. You got on the soapbox facing the other direction. I got I got on the soapbox to decry getting on soapboxes. There's <laughs> uh, a recursive loop or something going on here. Turtles all the way down. Yep, absolutely. So, <laughs> Uber. Oh, Uber. Yeah, Uber, I know. Uber. It's it's a uh, it's second most favorite topic. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, we will not talk next week. Yeah, we'll uh, and, be back and, in a couple of weeks. And when we when we don't talk next week, it won't be because uh, we ran away with our tails between our legs. It's actually no, a I, planned. I mean, it's a planned. It, it's a planned absence. <laughs> it, uh, I'm sure we will hear a little bit from folks on this, just like we heard a little bit from folks about the last episode. Yeah, and, and and like there's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about, like the auto lawsuit and the gray ball gray stuff. Ball. And, and, right. When I think gray ball is actually that's almost worth another episode on its own. Yeah, because I agree. Because now we're actually into the regulatory stuff where they very well may have crossed the line, and uh. and, and but we're an hour's up, so we can't get into it. But just to like we're not just to acknowledge that there's things we didn't talk about. There's yes, you know what? Here's here's my. F- We've gotten a lot into sort of my personal philosophy almost. <laughs> these, these you were thinking about whether we were going to keep going. Oh, I was like, we're going. Okay. No, no, let's, no. Let's I do just want to make one point. Like, yeah. I, if I, there's a, a core foundation of my philosophy, it's not. I, people sometimes email, like, accuse me, like moral relativism, or I was called being amoral for writing this or whatever. Mm. I, I would like to think I, I'm operating at, coming at this with a very deep sense of morality and a, an appreciation of it can change depending on your perspective. That's it's not to say it's relative. I guess that is sort of a definition of relative. I think that is. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's it's really easy to be absolute, to be an absolutist, to say things are for sure the way they are. And if there's sort of one foundational principle to my analysis and my perspective on life, it's 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 doubt. It's it's just remembering that I don't know everything. And given that, we we'll do the best we can, do the best analysis we can, you know, hopefully making the best decisions we can, and. And I hope that, you know, whether you agree or disagree with us, you can disagree. You can absolutely disagree and think that we are totally wrong and we're wrong on multiple points or whatever it might be. And that's fine. It's totally fine. I, I embrace and welcome the disagreement. But if you're absolutely 100% convinced of your position, just keep in mind mm. it's going to be very hard to even have a debate. And I find I found in my experience in life for through lots of different reasons, it's the people who are the most absolute that in the long run end up being the most wrong. Yeah, so. yeah, it's I, I it's a it's a timely point given the extent to which people more and more are turning into those absolutists and not not willing to come around and view other people's points of view. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, well, it's the same sort of thing. Like everyone wants everything to be perfect now, and and. Everyone's held to these these very high standards that have to be perfect in, in every aspect, and and yes, we can all we we should all have ideals and you know pushing towards a world that is. See, my push is for a world that's better, because I think to push for a world that is best mm. is to is awfully presumptive that you know what that world is, and it leads to a mindset that you will do anything necessary to get there, which can lead to a very bad place. And so, yeah, there you Perfect go. Perfect is the enemy of good. It, it, it is. And just to be clear, when we say the perfect enemy of good, like that's not talking about like the sexual harassment stuff. Like we should be past that. Like we're not going to like, that's not a thing about being better. We should already be, be we should already be better than that. And, you know, that's what he talks about kind of drawing the line, like separating all this different stuff. But, you know, I will say, I'll tell you, James, like in the, in the interest of doubt, you know, like it's a big deal. It, do, it And you, you can't, maybe you can't separate it. Maybe all this stuff is, is tied into one. And, and I will say for me, I, it makes me, it makes me think, it really makes me think we've, we've both been sort of 
defenders of Uber generally, and I think the model, you know, more than anything else. But if this is, if the cost of it, like where, where does the cost end? Is it one thing to have a, a culture that is a, you know, a hard charging culture? That's one thing. If it entails this sort of behavior that, you know, then we have, it's on us. We have to look at ourselves. Yeah. I I think that's, I mean, I, I hope in my heart of hearts that that's not the case. Um, and uh, perhaps I've assumed up until this point that you can, because I, I can, I can disaggregate them in my own mind, but then, uh, intellectually having that and being able to pull them apart in your head and have a conversation with you about it is very different from running an organization where all this stuff gets thrown in together and you have to live it day and night. And, and I, I think, I think the point is fair. Right, and, and and I just I think it's really important to say this kind of at the end because you know there's a there's an aspect where this is like we're defending Uber. And I, I don't think that's at least I hope that's not the the impression that we're giving. It's it's rather yeah, it's this is what you just said. Can can this stuff be pulled apart? And if it and if it can, then I think it's on some of Uber's critics to more carefully pull that apart. And if it can't, it's on folks like us. Yeah, to admit that and be honest about that, and and that's and that's why I come back to the doubt. And I hope that you and our listeners, and I know that and my readers, will, will hold me to that. I mean, we we might have this wrong too. Yeah, I, yeah the 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 degree to which you need to be like that, that self criticism. It came up a couple of times, and and not not falling into confirmation biases because you're in this in the same way that I have and you have probably been frustrated at some of the critics for not dealing with the nuance. Like if we aren't willing to deal with the nuance, then we're guilty of the same thing. And if it's impossible to not pull these things apart, then you're absolutely right. We need to call, we need to call ourselves on it. Yeah, for sure. And and I do think to our credit, we've both been I think pretty consistently critical about the this other stuff that's happened again going back to that you know, I said at the beginning of the podcast that that podcast that the the listeners sort of, you know, sent to me on on, on Twitter, that was about the MO Michael episode. And and yeah. I think we've been pretty consistent about being critical of that, but it is it's it's on us just as much as anyone else to to examine can this stuff be pulled apart? And if it can't, then you know that's that's something for us to definitely think about. Mm. Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Anyhow, our thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring this episode, as they do every episode. And I will talk to you in two weeks. Sounds good. Safe travels. All right, thank you. See ya. Bye bye. <laughs>